it's good seeing a good group of kids running out and so uh, makes me my heart happy it also makes my heart happy uh, uh, coming to game night last Friday and uh, seeing uh, some uh, competition seeing some people get a little feisty you know I was shocked to not come in on uh, uh, this morning and see tables not flipped over so I know Domino's got a little crazy so just make sure Carol uh, reads the instructions before you play the game. <laughs> so, no, just joking. It was a great time. Uh, glad, uh, a lot of stories, a lot of fishing stories, and a lot of uh, good time together. Uh, last couple of weeks, uh, as you clearly tell, we've been in the process of making disciples. And you've known that by a lot, one, the topic title, but two is just that's what we've been talking about the past few weeks and really investing into. And a lot of you are like, why is John so hooked on making disciples? Like, why is that? Well, one is because it's Jesus' last words. Matthew 28 clearly states that we are to go and make disciples. And so Jesus' last words should be our first step. Well, we need to start taking and taking steps too. But also making uh, on the process of making disciples is the process of making mature believers. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, mature believers. What does that look like? How, what does God say about this? What, what is the purpose of this? And so we're going to be talking about that uh, as we get in. So you can turn to your Bibles uh, right now. Uh, it's gonna, we're going to be digging, but before we get there, I'm going to go. It's going to be Ephesians 4. Uh, we're going to be digging through uh, 12 through 16 today. Um, so as you guys look that up, but before I dig into that, I also want you guys to, to know that we are preparing opportunities to actually live this out throughout the week and throughout the church. So me and some of the church leaders have been getting together, and we've uh, uh, basically have been building some processes of being able to live this out instead of just on a Sunday. You know, instead of just a Sunday uh, kind of, um, of thing, we want to live it out throughout the week. And so we're creating these uh, things called life groups. Life groups is, is more of an open opportunity. It's open-ended for building relationships with people in the church, but also your neighbors and community. So we're going to be building these kind of situations where we, throughout the week, have different opportunities. You can go different places and meet with people and love them. So you can do a game night instead of just at the church. You might be able to do a game night at your, at your house or someone's, uh, uh, someone's house, where then you can also invite your neighbors and be able to continue to build relationships. We find that to be very important. Also, we are in the process of also starting true discipleship groups. Now, these are a little bit more closed. And what I mean by closed is guys will be meeting with guys and women with women. And we're preparing to roll this out in the next couple months. But really, by January 2023, is, is uh, trying to roll it out into uh, being able to be able to communicate what this looks like. I think we are supposed to be... And the reason why we do discipleship more closed is accountability. And we're going to be talking about that as mature believers, but there's something to be held accountable. Men being able to uh, hold other men accountable and women being able to hold other women accountable. Because let me give you an example why, I why we would use this. I can guarantee you that a guy, I can only speak on a guy's 
perspective, a guy, if a guy is married and he's going to all this couple stuff, but say that he's struggling with lust, where is he going to communicate that at? Where is he going to open up that at? We want to create avenues to be able to become mature believers. We want avenues where a man can then say and maybe build a relationship as, I'm struggling in this. Yes, we would love for that person to be able to share with their, their wife at that, but that might not be the step. And so that's just one example of many why we want to build this process and not just be uh, fine with a Sunday kind of, hey, this is great. We want to build into living lifelong followers of Christ. Something that we also need to look at before we start digging into uh, Ephesians is that we as Christians and believers want people to be a certain way and act a certain way instantly. But here's the thing. Mature believers take time. We have to be really cautious in all aspects of our lives to make microwave Christians. I said you're going to hear it a lot. We want crockpot. We want crockpot meals instead of microwave. It takes time. And the thing that we also have to look at is we can also really struggle that we want Christians to look like us instead of to look like God. We put our own aspect of like, oh, if a new believer comes in, we want them to look like us. And that can be very dangerous because we need them to be looking like Christ. And our lives need to look like Christ. But we can't put on this like, oh, that person. Let me give you an example. When you are singing or worshiping, on the outside, it looks like someone is worshiping more if their hands are both raised up than maybe someone that is sitting. You're like, oh, that person is really feeling it today. That person is raising their hand. That person's really got it. That is an outside appearance. Like their heart may be far from God. They might be, but what is so unique is God judges the heart, not the outside. Not just by the outside appearance. Now your actions matter and all that. I'm not saying that at all. Maybe that person is giving all glory. But we cannot start making people into like, oh, that person fits in the box. Do you know how many times God wanted people outside the box and used people that were not the people that we thought they were going to use? God can use anybody. Just over a month ago, I showed you the video of that Satanist that found God. And he, he radically changed his life because of what God had done in his life. And what the one lady did, all the one lady did was hug him and say, God loves you. That was it. And that started this transaction. We cannot get lost into making people fit into what we assume. So let's dig into Ephesians 4, 12 through 16. Now, up on the screen is the NIV version. I'm reading from the ESV version. Um, there's a little differences, but uh, nothing, just in wording. So Ephesians 4, 12 through 16 says this. It says, To equip the saints for the work of ministry, 
for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by uh, every joint with which is, is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So, a little backstory. The Ephesians letter is addressed to the church at Ephesus, okay? So it's the church of Ephesus, and that's a capital of a Roman providence in Asia, okay? So a Roman providence is in Asia, is basically the capital, uh, which is now located in modern Turkey, okay? So you're talking about modern Turkey area here. The author is Paul, okay? So Paul is writing this, and uh, it's indicated that in chapter 1, and he's writing this from prison in the year around 60-62, okay? So about 30 years after the death of Jesus. If you take a look at the whole book of Ephesians, the first three chapters are very much more theological, okay? But the last three are much more of the behavior of a Christian, of how a Christian should act. And that's where we're at right now. Verse, or chapter 4, uh, verses 12 through 16. I, do, I, I really do enjoy this by uh, McCarthy. He uh, does, uh, explains this in his uh, commentary. He says, This is a letter of encouragement and to remind people of the blessings of Jesus Christ. But I really like this part. It goes, It's not that we are simply to be thankful for these blessings, but we are to live in a way that is worthy of them. So an example for me is a wedding ring, okay? I have a wedding ring, right? I need a head shake. And yes, I don't need a clap, but I need like, yeah, I, I got a wedding ring, okay? It is an example. I am very thankful for this wedding ring. It makes me know, and it's an outward symbol of my marriage with my wife. So some of you all have your wedding rings. It's an outward example. But the difference is, do I live in a way that is proper in that relationship? There's a difference of me just wearing this wedding ring around and just being like, oh, yeah, I'm married. But how would you feel if that's not the way I treated my wife? Because there's expectations in that. There's thankfulness in that relationship. There's a unique way that that relationship is handled and taken care of. That is the difference, and that is what is happening here, is how to live it out. Not just to be like, oh, yes, I know Jesus, but how to live it out as mature believers in Christ. So let's take a look at what the scripture says. It says, first off, in verses 4, uh, or uh, verses 12, it says, to equip the saints. Now, equip here is basically talking about obedience, talking about the process of obedience through scripture. So it's equipping them, giving them the proper tools of how to live. 
And the saints is all who believe. So if you believe, these are, this is what is going on here. Then it skips up to building up the body of Christ. So it says to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Building up the body of Christ is basically spiritually edifying and developing the church today. So that is us today growing, being built up as believers together. So many people all the time say, I, I can do it by myself. I can do it by myself. Well, that's not what we're called to do. We're called to do it together, to build each other up. Until we have all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature uh, manhood, to be the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So I wanted to get to the fullness of Christ. God wants every believer, every believer to manifest and be an example of the qualities of that his own son has. Okay? His son is the standard of spiritual maturity and perfection. Okay? So we're called to that. Now, do we fall? Yes. Clearly, we fall, but we are called to that standard, and that standard, and that's what's really important, is I think that's what we struggle with today, is if you look at the standard today, we choose different things to be the standard. We choose other people. Well, I'm better than this person. Or I would like, and, and with the youth today, it's their standard is set by influencers on Instagram. People make millions of dollars just to be influencers and promote stuff on TikTok, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. And that is the standard that is set. It is clearly saying that that and those are not the standards that we should strive for. Christ is the center. It's the standard that we need to go to. And I love this right here because then it goes, so that we may no longer be children. Okay? Part of the maturing process, and I've talked about this a little bit before in discipling, is it starts as a baby. It's messy, it's hard, it's unique. It starts as a baby, but as you grow, you learn more, you can walk. And then the process is still a maturing process. But you know right now, children are so influenced by things. Correct? Like, it, you think it's bad now, like... Uh, Right now, what's funny is I saw all the parents like, yeah, yeah, they're influenced by things pretty quickly. And so we have to make sure what is influencing them. And it says this, says, so no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness of deceitful schemes. That is basically thinking about all the people that come in with the Bible not being the standard. That they come in and they, they have these ideas and all this, but they're false. And what we've talked about is it doesn't have to be false by much. It can just be little. It's usually the little things. It's never the huge major gaps that get people in trouble. It's always the little things. It's like, ah, oh, I'm just going to lie about this test. I'm just going to lie. It's very little. But then that lie might catch up to you. It's very simple and subtle sometimes. Just like we talked about busyness. Busyness, you can be busy in, in small things and good things, but all of a sudden then 
I can be busy coaching basketball, doing all these other, uh, by, by preaching, by teaching, and by doing all these things, and then all of a sudden, like, do I have time with my family? Like, all these things were good, but it can take you away from the standard. And Christ is standard, we cannot fall away from that, and we can't fall away from the Scripture. But it says this, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. So we need to know that into Christ, we have to be completely obedient to the Lord. He runs the show. What I love about right now is a lot of us don't love that. We love it in like thinking about it, but when it's actually happening, sometimes we want to take over. Like, I don't really want to love this person because this person is mean to me. Have any of you ever felt that way? Thank you. Like, I am, I am mad. I don't know, God, why am I supposed to love this person? This person has betrayed me, hurt me. Yes, there's consequences, but we are called to love. We are called to be different. That's what we're called to do. It's so easy to get lost in, in track of that. We can't because our head is Christ, not myself. Not myself. Not my friend who I think is really smart. No, it's the head is Christ. And then let's finish this up. It goes, from the, whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself in love. It's the way we grow, is to love others. It grows and it builds itself into loving properly. Loving others properly. It doesn't say to get more people into the church door. It doesn't say, hey, to, uh, to make, do more baptism. It doesn't say anything. It says to grow them up in love. And we're supposed to. A Wearsby commentary says this. Paul, at this time, was looking at the church on two levels in this section. He saw the body of Christ made up all true believers, growing gradually until it reaches a spiritual maturity. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ in verse 13. But he also saw the local body of believers ministering to each other, growing together and therefore experiencing spiritual unity. Spiritual unity is not something we manufacture. It is something we already have in Christ, and we must protect and maintain it. Truth unites, but lies divide. Love unites, but selfishness divides. Therefore, we should be speaking the truth in love, from verse 15, equipping one another uh, in and find one another, that all of us may grow up and be more like Christ. So, you have on your sheet, if you have a sheet, you have the marks, M-A, and so we're going to go through those really quickly. I got this from Replicate Ministries. Uh, most of this information, uh, I just have uh, dived in with them. They're great, uh, great people, great, I think, great process, but I just want you to, uh, to dig in and start processing where you're at on this. The first one is a mark of a healthy disciple. 
So if you are uh, someone that is making a healthy disciple, what does it look like? The first one is missional. So you're missional. And if you want to write these verses next to it, you can. It's Acts 1 through 8, or 1, 8. Acts 1, 8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and in all Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are called to be multipliers, and this is an everyday action. This is an, not just a Sunday action. This is not, hey, I'll wait and see action. This is an every hour, every day. Are you missional? Are we loving our neighbors across the street? Are we loving our neighbors at work? Are we loving our neighbors at school? Do we love missionally every day? Is that something that just oozes out of you? Or is this something that you just struggle with? You don't have. The next one. A, accountable. That comes from Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10. And it says this. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. I love this line from Robbie Gallaty. It says, he says this, you can't expect what you don't inspect. You can't expect what you don't inspect. There has to be transparency. There has to be accountability. We, but as believers, can't hide things. Just so you know, I am discipled. Like, just because, like, sometimes people like a pastor, like, no, I have people that pour into my life because I need to be held accountable. I don't usually say to write something down, but I, I think if you were to write something down, because I believe this, what is hidden in the dark is where trust goes to die. What is hidden in the dark is where trust goes to die. You can hide stuff from people. You can hide it, but if you, if you continue to hide it, it's going to eat you. And it builds up. It's going to eat you. You don't want trust to die. Trust is your word. Have you lost relationships with a friend because of a loss of trust? Has someone lied to you and that relationship has never been the same? Your word matters. What you say matters. And think about that. Then, then we go out into the world and we say we love Jesus. We say we love this. And then our word doesn't get executed and we lose that trust. Why would people want to follow someone that they don't have trust in? Because I wouldn't. I know friends who have said something to me and have hurt me, and then all of a sudden that relationship, like, yeah, it's, it's healed, but it's always different. Your word matters. What you do matters. And that's why we need accountability. We need two people together. You need to do it together, and that's why I'm so big on discipleship. We can't do this by ourselves. We're not called to. Next one. We need to be re reproducible. 
That comes from 2 Timothy 2.2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrusted to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. As a church, we are to be reproducible. When we are looking at the discipleship process and people's lives, and the process doesn't... When you are discipling someone, the process doesn't end until that person starts discipling someone else. The process doesn't end just because you are investing into someone's life. That person needs to do it. A lot of you have jobs. It might be like an IT job. It might be happens, and, and you might get the new kid coming in. That they might think they know it all. Have you ever dealt with that with a millennial? They know it all. They want the race. They want it. I don't know. Maybe not. But they've raised it. But you have to train them. Are you train, did you train them just because you spent a week with them? If they can't do what they're supposed to do? No, because the job's not done. If they need to learn something, you have to be able to be alongside them until they can accomplish what needs to be accomplished. And then when they can do that, you have done your job. You have accomplished it because now they could go to the point if someone else new comes in, they can invest in someone. That's the process of reproducing, of reproducing in people's lives. Are we loving people that way? Where we bring them up, love them, share Jesus with them, teach them, guide them so that they could at some point help others. Next one is C, is communal. It's from Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. It says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as it is a habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Sharing your life is important. We are to do this together. That's why we are called to meet here. This is great. I love communion. I'm like, it's great. And listening to me is great, I guess. You know, it's great. But you know what I also love? I love the conversations. I love the talking when people walk down. I get to shake their hands and get to meet them. And it's so unique, though. Like, game night, like, you got to, I got to know more stories about people than more than on a Sunday. Like, I, some stories I don't want to know. But... I got to pray for more people. My goodness. No, but, but you walk away from a Friday night knowing more about people than you did on a Sunday because it's communal. You're getting to know people. And then what's shocking, and then all of a sudden, now I know how to pray for people more. I know how to love people more because now I know what's going on in their life because now there's a risk to that. I get that. There's a risk because people can hurt you. But that's not what we're called to do. We're called to be risk takers in the sense of trusting God. And we're called to follow his action. We're called to be communal. We're called to live life together, not by ourselves. It's so easy. And that's what usually happens. It's like, I don't like how this worship goes this way. I don't like how uh, these uh, people do this stuff. And I don't like, that's not what we're called to do. We're called to live together. And we're called to live it for Christ. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Next one, scripture. 
We're going to end with scripture. And that's 2 Timothy 3.16. It's a good one to memorize. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. We need to know the Bible more than when we first found Christ. When we first got it, we just need to know it more. Some of us have different processes. I get that. I'm not trying to... I think sometimes some people have the professor kind of brain and just can explain it really well. Some can see more of the applying part. And some, like, it takes longer to, like, understand. They're all different, but we have to be growing. I think we can't, we can't be caught, like, oh, I know more than Billy across the street, so God clearly loves me more. Uh, like, that's not how we're supposed to to live, but we have to understand it properly. There's different contexts. I can take verses out of context all the time, and that's why at the end of the day, you have to hold me accountable, and I have people hold me accountable. I don't love that I have to tell you that, but I can make Jesus wet. Two words sound differently in different situations, and I've heard different pastors do it. Jesus wept. Well, why did he weep? Oh, it's because a bunch of people didn't believe who he says he was. Is that true? Did he weep because he just lost Lazarus? Lazarus was dead, and so he lost his best friend? Well, if that's the case, why is he crying? Because he just makes him alive again. Like, you can change it, but you have to, that's why you have to know the Scripture and dig into Scripture and know it. And different people have it, but we can't fall for false teachings, and it has to be held accountable. The Bible is the final call. And do you know it well enough to have an impact in your life? Because I love the, I like, there are now many renowned atheists that have come out and said, Jesus is who he says he is. The only question is, did he, uh, did he really rise or not? Uh, Robert J. Miller says, we can be certain, and these are all renowned atheists at the top of the field. We can be certain that Jesus really existed despite a few highly motivated skeptics who refused to be convinced that he was a Jewish teacher in Galilee and that he was crucified by the Roman government around 30 AD. Uh, Michael Martin says this, some skeptics have maintained that the best account of the biblical and historical evidence is the theory that Jesus never existed. That is, that Jesus' existence is a myth. Such a view is controversial and not widely held, even by anti-Christian thinkers. It is, and then by uh, Bart Ehrman says, it is a historical fact that some of Jew Jesus' followers came to believe that he had been risen from the dead soon after his execution. We know some of these believers by name. One of them, the Apostle Paul, claims quite plainly to have seen Jesus alive after his death. Thus, for the historian, Christianity begins after the death of Jesus, not with the resurrection itself, but with the belief in the resurrection. It all comes to the resurrection. Do you believe who Jesus says he is or he's not? Because he's, he's either a raging lunatic, being out there saying he's the Messiah, or he is who he says he is. And we have to trust on the scripture of the people that have seen it. And all those people, what's unique is most of them died gruesome deaths, hung upside down on the cross, boiled, all these kind of things. If they didn't believe Jesus, if they, 
didn't think they saw him again or know that they saw him, would they have lived those lives? Because those are all historical of the way they died. And so we have to continue to rest that Scripture needs to be our basis, not just ideas and thoughts that could be from anywhere. So as you look at these, we're going to look at these letters once out. I'm going to ask you to apply it to your life. So the first one, missional. I want you to write down a number, or you can think of a number, but I want you to write down a number. So there's seven days in a week. Seven days in a week. How many days do you believe you think missionally? And write that number down. What's great is no one else can see it. I'm going to have you hold it up later. No, just joking. Just joking. You guys would really love me then. But I want you to think, like, do I think that way? Do I think missionally at all? It might be seven out of seven. Like, that's just who your personality is. Yeah, I want, I want to share Jesus. I just want to be, I just want to love. I might not even say, like, oh, I need to mention Jesus, but I'm just going to love like that this week. Like, I love this day. It might be three out of seven. But you, this is a good point to look at of where you're at. Next one, accountable. I want you to write a name or names of people you believe hold you accountable. Does anyone hold you accountable? Anyone. Are you your own accountability person, czar, emperor? Sorry, I got to tell this story. Uh, I was down at the. I was down in my uh, office, and I walked into uh, the where the copier was. And so my kids were with me, and I walked into the door and walked in and uh, to go get some copies. And she's like, Jason was like, "Oh, you can go anywhere." And I was like, "Well, the door's open. I'm just going." And she looks at me. Oh, it's because you're the emperor, aren't you? Like, I don't think that's right, but I sort of love it. No, uh, no, I, we, not, I don't get called emperor at home. Uh, the emperor's home. So, uh, no, uh, so I, that word always uh, brings joy to me. Uh, so me making copies made me an emperor. So, but who holds you accountable? Is there anyone? Is there anyone? Is there anyone that's helping you in this process? Just write that name down, if so. Now I want you to go to reproducible. I want you to write down a name of someone that you might be investing into. Someone that you're just loving. That you're feeling like, I just, this person, is just, I want to reproduce into them. Pour into them. Give my life into them. Because that, that's what we're called to do. That's what I'm doing with my two children. I'm pouring my life into them. Because I want them to be raised up in a certain way, but... Besides them, who else am I pouring into? Now, communal, I just want you to write down some friends. Who, who are some people that you live life with? It might be easy to come off your head, but like, who's, who are the first couple people that may, might come over to your house, or who do you like going out to eat with? Who are those people? That's, a, that's the easiest one of all of them. Hopefully. Then I, and then for scripture, I want you to think 
of a verse in the last year that you've memorized? And if you can't think of one, or you haven't, if that's not something that is processed, I want you to actually think of a goal that might be good for you. So a goal might be like, I'm going to learn one verse per month. So I'm going to learn 12 over a year. Or some of you might be a little bit more greedy. Be like, I'm going to learn two a month. But I, I want you to do a goal that's realistic. Like something that would be challenging, but also something that I can get done. Because could you from a year from now come back and be like, I memorized 12 verses. Awesome. Awesome. It's not that like, because we're supposed to have it ingrained in our brains and in our body. And it might be 12, but I can guarantee you if you memorize 12, those are going to be impacting your life because you spent time over them. Sometimes we get so lost that we have to know all this information, know all this stuff. I think we have to live out what we already know. If someone lived out 12 verses that implemented their lives, I think that'd be amazing. But I want you to write down a goal that you can set for yourself. These are just different applications that I want you to start implementing into your life. It's great to just sort of be like, hey, this is the process. This is what we're going. This is the direction. But if we actually don't apply it to our lives, then it gets lost. So I am excited for the process of starting life groups and doing more of the game nights and different kinds of events to be able to live life together and to live missionally and to live the marks of a disciple, of a mature believer. And some of us, you have to question, maybe, maybe I'm not that mature believer right now. Here's the thing, it's okay. This is not, I'm not asking for the, the salvation, but we have to ask ourselves, what are those steps? What are those steps of process where you are? And if you aren't right with God, you have to talk with him. Have that question. Am I right? Am I in the right place with you? Where you are the head. You are in charge. You are in that. Because it becomes so easy for me, for you, for other people to put myself first. When I was a high school leader, when I was a high school leader, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, relationships play a huge deal. Like, relationships are huge. Like, Billy likes me and Susie doesn't like me. Like, it's a huge deal. But I would always push for this. I go, ladies, because I, uh, I, I like talking to ladies, because I know from a guy's perspective. A guy will never truly put you first in their life if Christ isn't first in his. Especially when you're a high schooler in college. And what I know guys do really, really well. Guys do this really well. They'll put you up above them for just a little bit, and then they go back to being first. Because then what happens is the girl always fights to be back first in that guy's life again. He wants, she wants to be first. There's a battle there because a guy is selfish. I don't know if you know this, ladies. Guys are selfish. I don't, I got an amen over there. It happens because guys could be, want to be first. And a guy can never put the woman really 
in front of themselves unless Christ is first in his life. Because Christ has to be the head and dictate. Because then it humbles the man and it puts him in the right perspective of how to treat his wife, to treat you as a woman. And so many times we have gotten this mixed up as like, yeah, I got to do what's best for me. And then the next. And then it's like, then it's family. And then it's like friends. And I got this order. It always gets messed up because we don't have the right order properly. I'm asking us, we need to have the right order. And that's the part of the missional, the marks of being the true believers, putting it in the right perspective and in the right order. Will you pray with me? There any Father, I thank you so much for who you are, what you're about. And I, just be, I pray for people as right now, as they write, wrote down some maybe names or some numbers and they're processing where they're at. Maybe it's, I'm only thinking missionally like two times a week. What is that? May, may they pray over that. May they dig into that. May they grow into that. And the fact that, that we're growing in our faith. You are perfect. You have taken all of our sin and done that, but we want to live with you and for you. Just be with us as we go out throughout this week, as we travel to work, as we do whatever. May we love you properly. I thank you for everyone in here. I thank you for the laughter. I thank you for the stories. And please be with the kids as they go out through the week of school as well. We love and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.